Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And this is part two on the message, The Power of Unity. You know, the root of all unity stems from someone who is unselfish. The root of all disunity stems from somebody who is selfish. You see, unselfishness is based upon having the mind of Christ. When I'm selfish, I don't have the mind of Christ. So Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're going through the habits of a unified church. Number one is that they have positive thoughts of others, not filled with criticism of others, but positive thoughts of others. That's where we finished up the broadcast yesterday. The second point we discover about churches that are unified and people that are unified, we discover that they have another character trait that they habitually do, and that is they have faithful actions of service without complaining. That is two parts of that. They are serving without complaining. I know some people that serve, but they constantly complain as they're serving. Faithful actions of a unified church is comprised of people that are so excited to serve, and they're excited to be serving, and they're not complaining about it. I remember what Mark Twain said, don't complain and talk about your problems because 80% of people don't care about your problems, and the other 20% think that you deserve them. Listen, the ones who do the least complaining are the ones who do the most work. Those who complain most work the least amount. So when you're complaining in the midst of service, you're really not doing a whole lot. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave us this wonderful example. He humbled himself, taking on the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness. Now, nowhere in Scripture have I found a verse about Jesus complaining. He didn't say, well, I guess I got to be a servant for these losers. I guess I've got to identify with them because they're a bunch of lowlifes. No, he never complained about that. He willingly did this. He was our servant, taking on the very nature of the servant, the DNA of a servant. He wasn't just taking on the attitude of a servant. He was a servant. He became one who is a character of service. Paul tells us, Philippians 2.14, do everything, everything, without complaining or arguing. One time, a guy told me that he had the gift of grumbling. You ever everybody tell you that? You know what I told this guy? I said, if you got the gift of grumbling, you ought to go ahead and bury that gift. What do you think about grumbling? Complaining is really grumbling against the Lord. In Numbers chapter 16, verse number 11, it says, it is against the Lord that you and all of your followers have bonded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? You know, I've discovered something. Grumblers travel in packs. They are attracted to one another. But as we are complaining, we are really grumbling against the Lord. 
a monk joined a monastery and he took a vow of silence. After the first 10 years, his supervisor called him in and asked, Do you have anything to say? The monk replied, Food bad. Well, after another 10 years, the monk again had the opportunity to voice his thoughts, and this time he said, Bed hard. After another 10 years went by, and again he was called in before his supervisor. When asked if he had anything else to say, he responded, I quit. To which his supervisor responded, It doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain ever since you've been here. You know, in an unsanctified moment, I said this to a disgruntled member who left our church. Ironically, nobody even noticed that they had left. And I said that to this person. I want you to know I should have said that. That was an unsanctified thought. But if you're a disgruntled person, you will never be content in the Lord. Paul said to young Timothy, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful since he cannot deny himself. So if I'm going to be like God, I'll be faithful regardless of what other people are doing. You see, I'm not a grumbler because I hang around other people that don't grumble. I'm a faithful servant and my God never complains. And so I am one that's going to be determined never to complain. So if you want to be in a unified relationship, if you want to have a unified church, you got to have positive thoughts, faithful actions, humbly giving of sacrifices without complaining, and you got to be one that is willing to make sacrifices for others. You see, we don't take up our cross daily to crucify Jesus again, but to crucify ourselves, to crucify our own selfishness. That's why we're going to take up that cross daily. Now, if we compare ourselves with others, two things are going to happen. Either we're going to be real proud, or number two, we're going to get mighty discouraged. And neither is from God. In Philippians 2.8, it says, Being found in the appearance as a man, he, referring to Christ, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't know about you, but that blows me away thinking that God would humble himself to the point of death, obedient to death, death on the cross. In his recent book called Reunion, Bruxy Cave writes, The Victorian Cross is Canada's highest military honor. It's similar to the Medal of Honor in the United States. These medals are awarded for personal acts of valor that go above and beyond the call of duty. Of the thousands awarded to date, more citations have been bestowed for falling on grenades to save comrades than any other single act. The first Victorian Cross of World War II was awarded to Company Sergeant Major John Robert Osborne. The Sergeant Major and his men were cut off from their battalion, and they were under a heavy attack. When the enemy came in close, the Canadian soldiers were subjected to a concentrated barrage of grenades. Several times, Osborne protected his men by picking up these live grenades and throwing them back. But eventually, one fell in just the wrong position to be picked up in time. With only a split second to decide, Osborne shouted a warning and threw himself on top of the grenade. It exploded, killing him instantly. The rest of his company survived. 
And that battle was given victoriously because Osborne selfishly gave himself for others. I love stories of this kind, stories of bravery and self-sacrifice. You know, they give me hope for humanity, and they offer us all a glimpse of God's goodness that is reflected in his image bearers. But you know, no matter how beautiful and heroic that act may be, through Jesus, we can see even a greater love at the heart of God. You see, soldiers who fall on grenades do so out of love for their friends. Well, they are on the battlefield trying to kill their enemies. But Jesus died for his friends and his enemies. He died for everyone in between. Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, and he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, we wouldn't put ourselves in the same class with you or compare ourselves to those who are bold enough to make their own recommendations? Certainly, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves to themselves, they show how foolish they are. How can we brag about things that no one can evaluate? Instead, we will only brag about what God has given us to do. Coming to the city of Corinth where you live. You see, Paul understood that the sacrifice that God made through his son Jesus Christ far outweighed any sacrifice that he could possibly make. Our sacrifice should be made to encourage others, not to compare, not to condemn. You know, there's power in encouragement. The students at Sandy's High School were badly shaken by the news that a classmate had killed himself. The suicide note said, It's hard to live when nobody cares if you die. The teacher realized that this was a teachable moment and talked about the importance of making people feel valued. He asked the class to imagine that they were about to die. And he asked them to write a note telling someone how or why you appreciate them. Sandy, who had a rocky relationship with her mother, decided that she would sit down and write to her mom. Her letter said this, Mom, we've had some rough times, and I haven't always been a very good daughter, but I know I'm lucky to have you in my life. You are the best person I've ever known. And even when I disagree with you, I never doubt that you love me and you want what's best for me. Thanks, Mom, for not giving up on me. When her mom read that note, she cried and she hugged sadly tightly and said these words. The next morning, Sandy found a note on her mirror from her mom. Dearest Sandy, I want you to know being your mom is by far the most important thing in my life. Until I got your note, I thought I had lost your love and I had thought I had lost your respect. I felt like such a failure. I intended to end it all last night. Your note saved my life. You never know what your note could do in encouraging somebody else. You know, when I think about sacrifices that we make, we don't sacrifice so that we can compare ourselves with others. We don't sacrifice so that we can have bragging rights. We sacrifice because we really do love somebody. 
I want you to know, if you want to live a life of unity with others, you've got to have positive thoughts of others. You have to have faithful actions in serving others. You have to humbly give yourself sacrificing with others without comparing yourself with others. There's a fourth thing that you've got to do. But before I give you this fourth thing, I want to remind you there is power in encouragement. You know, there's a day in my life where I got so discouraged. I was at the bottom of the barrel. I was thinking that I have, I have managed to pretty much uh, ostracize and disappoint about everybody in my life. I was kind of at the end of the barrel, as you could say, at the bottom of my rope. I had a friend. His name was Jimmy. And Jimmy Moffat came to me one day and he says, now listen, you are such a good friend to me. And, and Jimmy Moffat struggled with some physical sicknesses. He says, you have been such a good friend of mine. Would you mind if we became roommates? And I was a little bit reluctant because uh, Jimmy Moffat, I knew, had a lot of health issues, and, and he's one of those people that required a lot of attention and it would require a lot of my time. But I was so impressed that he felt like I made such a major investment in his life that he was wanting to be my roommate. And so we became roommates, and, and, and I got to be honest with you, it was a very difficult year for me to be his roommate. You see, Jimmy Moffat was struggling with AIDS. He went on a mission trip, and, and on this mission trip, there was some water that they drank in Africa, and that water made them all sick, and, and they were given a shot, and they all shared the same needle. Well, that needle was tainted with the HIV virus, and as a result, he caught HIV. His body began to slowly deteriorate. Uh, he was a, a person that struggled greatly toward the end of his life, but I was there to encourage him. I was there to be by his side. You see, there's a part of the story that I didn't tell you about Jimmy Moffat. You see, I was in a terrible car accident in which I had caused a lot of hurt to somebody else. I wasn't physically hurt, but somebody else who was an innocent victim was hurt by my irresponsibility. So I had to go to court. I had to defend myself. And, and I was uh, at a stage where I was so depressed over what happened. I, I think I lost a year of my life battling depression over this terrible accident. I felt like I had lost all my friends because I had done something that was really unthinkable. I was so irresponsible in driving that I hurt somebody who didn't deserve to be hurt. Jimmy Moffat was there. On the day that I was to testify, the day I was going to court, he was right there with me every step of the way. I remember going to court that morning. I said, listen, you don't have to go with me. I said, I'll be all right. He said, no, I want to go. He said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to be there to support you during this time. And he sat during that long court proceeding, just there to support me. That power of encouragement. You know, I felt indebted to my friend Jimmy Moffat because of the love he showed to me. I made a small sacrifice because he made a big sacrifice for me. You know, I had the privilege of speaking at his funeral, and I got to share some of the things that he blessed me with in his life. There is power in encouragement. Do you know that there's a ministry in encouragement? God has called us all to encourage one another. To encourage somebody means to infuse them with courage. When you're discouraged, you are losing your courage. Well, here's the fourth thing that I see with the power of unity. 
The power of unity is found when we sincerely glorify Christ without conceit. In Acts chapter 20, we are told to keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You know, as I look about that verse, it's given to the challenge of those who are leading churches. Paul says to the Corinthian believers, But he that glorifies, let him glorify in the Lord. In other words, if we're going to give glory to Christ, we're going to do it without conceit. We're not going to give glory to Christ and, and at the same token, try to give ourselves a pat on the back. Paul says to the Corinthian believers that God has given us a reason that we ought to be filled with joy. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that God exalted Christ, given him the highest place, and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. You see, all glory goes to Christ. He is the one who has made me who I am. John Piper said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Where does your satisfaction come from? You see, you will never be unified with other believers if you find your satisfaction outside of God's glory. Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice on our behalf. You know, most kingdoms will do anything they can to protect their king. It's kind of like an unspoken premise of the game of chess, for example. When the king falls, the kingdom is lost. Therefore, the king must be protected at all cost. You know, another notable example of this would come from the Allied invasion in Normandy on D-Day, June 6, 1944. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill desperately wanted to join the forces, and he, and he wanted to watch the invasion from the bridge on the battleship in the English Channel. United States General Dwight David Eisenhower was desperate to stop him. You see, he was so fearful that the prime minister might be killed in battle when it became apparent that Churchill would not be dissuaded. Eisenhower appealed to a higher authority, King George VI. The king went and told Churchill that if he was the prime minister, it was his duty to witness the invasion, but he was to witness it from a great distance. At that point, Churchill reluctantly agreed to back down, for he knew that he could never expose the King of England to such danger. The King of England said, if you're going to be there, I'm going to be there with you. So he pulled back to protect the king. King Jesus, however, did exactly the opposite. With royal courage, he surrendered his body to be crucified. On that cross, he offered a king's ransom. He offered his life for the life of his people. He would die for all the wrong things that we had ever done or ever would do. He completely atoned for all of our sins. You see, the crown of thorns that was meant as mockery of his royal claims actually proclaimed his kingly dignity even in his death. 
C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. And in that particular book, Lewis notes how believers often underestimate the full riches that God has for his children. He writes, If we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud piles in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday of the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I want you to know that you can live a life of unity. God has brought us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't have a spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. I want you to know that there's nothing that is coming against you that God cannot give you victory over. You know, many years ago when I was so discouraged and I was so defeated, I needed a word from the Lord. You ever been that way in your life? I needed some encouragement from God's word. And I began to memorize my favorite Bible verse to this day. And this verse reminds me that what I'm going through, it is common to man. I want to quote to you my favorite Bible verse and explain to you why this is my favorite Bible verse. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. Paul is writing, and he says, There is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. Now, you can substitute that word temptation with trial. Paul is reminding us that no matter what we go through, he says that it is common to man. Listen, when you're going through a time of trial, you're feeling like nobody understands what you're going through. You're feeling like, I'm the first one to have to deal with such nonsense. I'm the first one to have to deal with such an overwhelming situation. Now, Paul says, it is common to man. There is no trial taking you, but such is as common to man. But God. Oh, that little phrase, but God. You may have found yourself with your back against the wall, but God came through. You may have found yourself at the end of your rope financially, but God came through. Maybe your marriage seems like it's over, but God came through. But God is faithful. He always is faithful. Even when I mess up, he's still faithful. Paul says God is faithful. He will not allow you to be suffering, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. Oh, I'm so glad. God knows my breaking point. And let me tell you something about your breaking point. You have a further breaking point in your life than you realize. God knows it, and he wants you to know it. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tried beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Oh, I'm so thankful for that promise. When the pressure gets too big, when the stress becomes too strong, God provides a way of escape. I guess you could call it an exit strategy. God provides a way for me to get out. He always does at just the right moment. You see, when the pressure is overwhelming, look for that exit strategy. Look for that door that God is opening to get you out of that situation. If it's a matter of being overwhelmed with temptation, he gives you the opportunity to get out of that situation. 
Maybe somebody's listening to me right now and they're overwhelmed with the temptation and they're, they're feeling this allurement and God's got a door that's open for you. And he says, I want you to take that door. Don't go down that path. That is a path of destruction. Avoid that path of destruction. You know the sexual sins? Throughout Scripture, we are commanded to flee. Flee the lust of the flesh. Or there's some things that we are to resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But the sexual sins, we don't flirt with those. We resist those. We run from those. That's how we get away from them. Oh, I want you to know God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. I want you to live in unity. I want to pray for you that you will live a life of victory. If I can pray for you today, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-2365, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you will consider worshiping with us this weekend. Take this as a personal invite to come to Hickory Ridge Community Church this Sunday, 9 o'clock or 1045. I would love to see you. We are at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. God bless you and be safe as you're driving home today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.